Good morning slash afternoon slash evening. Welcome to the Cowboys and Rice podcast, a perfectly passable China Africa podcast. I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, and I'm joined by our co-hosts, Lena Ben-Abdallah, a PhD student in international relations at the University of Florida, and Yiting Wong, our resident China sustainability specialist. Lena, Yiting, how are you ladies doing? Doing great. Doing very lovely. Thank you. Excellent. And... Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, African Development Jobs. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Duru, seeks to connect development workers to professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest of diversified development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. The illegal ivory trade, as we have discussed before on this pod, is a quite contentious issue in Africa-China relations. There are an estimated 470,000 elephants remaining on the African continent today, a sharp decline from 1.2 million in 1981. Poaching of elephants for their ivory is a key driver of this crisis, with about 20 to 30,000 elephants each year killed. Data from the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species, or CITES, shows that China is a major market for this ivory. There are reasons to be optimistic, however. In September 2015, Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Barack Obama jointly committed to enact nearly complete bans on ivory imports and exports. During the eighth session of the U.S.-China Strategic and Economic Dialogue back in June of this year, China announced that it will set a timetable to phase out commercial trading in ivory by the end of 2016. We actually discussed on episode 62 that one of the outcomes of the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation, or FOCAC, was strong pledges by China to help curb poaching activities in Africa. Today we bring back to the pod Mr. Joe Fay, head of traffic, the Wildlife Research Network, to discuss a brand new report titled An Act to Save African Elephants, a Ban on Commercial Ivory Trade in China, a Feasibility Study Briefing, which was jointly written by both Traffic and WWF. Mr. Joe, we are very pleased to have you back on the pod. Thank you. It's my pleasure to, to join this talk. Well, I really enjoyed reading the report. And before we discuss the feasibility of such a ban, could you give us some background on the situation of illegal ivory within China and what has been done about it so far? What is the difference between legal and illegal ivory? Yeah. Um, in the past few years, the uh, illegal ivory trade has been very rampant uh, in China. Now, this round of uh, illegal trade uh, started in 2009. So um, you might want to know what happened in 2008. Now, in 2008, China um, imported uh, 62 tons of legal ivory from the African countries. Um, now, this amount of illegal ivory uh, stimulates the demand in market. And also, uh, this legal trade, uh, legal ivory, provide um, kind of co- uh, coverage to uh, the illegal trade in China. So uh, uh, from 2009 up to now, this illegal trade has been very um, 
rampant in China. Um, uh, we started to uh, to monitor the uh, indigo ivory trade, and we found uh, there was a trend. Um, uh, with the um, uh, strong uh, law enforcement efforts in China, um, this illegal trade uh, has been moved from uh, physical markets to to online. Uh, last year, we uh, we monitored 58 WeChat accounts, and we found quite a lot of illegal information uh, there. So we made we collect all this information and we pass um, information to Tengxin. Tengxin is the company who is running this uh, um, WeChat. Uh, then Tengxin uh, immediately react by closing down those uh, uh, those accounts. And also in collaboration with Tengxin, we also pass information to, uh, to Forest Police. And uh, Forest Police also uh, take some actions based on those information. So when you say the forest pol police, do you mean the state forestry administration, the SFA? Uh, yes, the, uh, the, the forest, forest police is the uh, law, enforcement, law enforcement agency in China specialized in the uh, wildlife uh, crime. Thank you so much for that clarification. The police were in, involved. How open to enforcement were they when when you presented with clear violations yeah they uh they uh they take action based on on our information i started uh their um uh investigation and uh later on uh uh we were informed that uh some suspects had been um arrested that's actually pretty pretty remarkable in terms of its speed and efficiency do you give them a tip or do you give them a full investigation on on where these social media markets are operating yeah we provide this information to uh to tongsin first and uh, then uh in collaboration with tongsin uh we help to provide the detailed information of those accounts who were selling uh, those illegal products. So the police would be able to follow those accounts based on the information we provided. That's incredible. Um, Zhou Fei, could you talk about more in general um, what the Chinese um, has been doing to curb the illegal trade um, and also to how do they actually distinguish the legal versus illegal products on the market? Uh, yeah, in China we have both legal and uh, illegal ivory products in market. So it's it's difficult for the uh, uh, the consumers to, to tell which one is legal, uh, which one is Illegal and also it's it it create the uh, the obstacles and difficulties for the law enforcement agencies to uh to carry out their crackdown on 
illegal uh, uh, illegal trade. Could you give us some examples of what is legal to purchase and what is illegal to purchase? Okay. Uh, China has a, a, a system in place there uh, imposed by the SFA. Uh, there are around 130 uh, uh, legal shops who, uh, countrywide who can sell uh, legal ivory. Uh, so in those shops, they will have their uh, certificates there. And uh, for each of the ivory uh, products, uh, there's a, a certificate with a, a photo of the, the products there. So, uh, in case uh, a customer wishes to buy a, a product, then the the uh, shop needs to show the certificate and to the uh, the customer. So that is the uh, the uh, legal legal ivory. Uh, any items sell uh, any any items which uh, were not sold in those. 130 shops are considered illegal. So, which means that all, all the uh, ivory products on the uh, online, on the websites and on social media, they are all illegal. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the legal versus illegal, um, I think there seems to be a debate, um, even among the conservationists, whether a total ban is the most effective measure. Um, I think some Southern African countries where anti-poaching measures are fairly strong oppose uh, such a ban on trade. Um, could you tell us a bit more of, uh, you know, what are your reasons for um, supporting a ban in China? Um, um, that is there is there a chance that a ban could actually make the price of ivory increase and possibly making it more of a lucrative commodity for poaching? Uh, yeah, it's true. This uh, the ivory ban issue is quite contentious. I have a solution here. Um, it's it's perhaps the uh, last uh, result we have. Poaching crisis in Africa. So for instance, this uh, the uh, the loss of uh, habitat, the uh, uh, poverty in Africa, and also this uh, judiciary corruption and weak uh, law enforcement, etc. Um, now, in Asia, is the uh, uh, demand, uh, especially the demand in China, that contributes to the uh, poaching in Africa. So, in today's world, uh, um, we cannot do um, um, make uh, overnight change on the issues of poverty and corruption in Africa. But if we would, but if we only do one thing that could help to uh, reduce the poaching crisis in Africa, that is the ivory ban in China. So um, we believe the ivory ban can be the uh, greatest single step that can. Uh, that can help to reverse the uh, the elephant decline in Africa, because by banning all the ivory, by making all the ivory on market illegal, now uh, the uh, the uh, law law abiding consumers in China will no longer have access uh, 
to every. So, so that will help to uh, reduce the demand uh, significantly uh, in a country like China. And when the demand drops in China, the uh, transnational criminals will no longer be interested in doing such a business. And then the poachers um, in Africa will stop poaching. So that is a hope that this ban in consumer countries like China could help to reduce the uh, poaching in Africa. So speaking of uh, the demand side, uh, the report outlines five recommendations towards yeah. the end. And in the recommendations, one of them is just the one that you, 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 you mentioned is to implement the ban and implement it immediately. And then another yeah. one is to kind of talk a little bit about or uh, address the demand side. But the question I had uh, regarding the recommendations is there seems to be a, a conundrum between banning ivory and also the cultural uh, intangible heritage. And uh, what is it that you think can be done to, to mediate between a complete ban and also this fear of losing the intangible cultural heritage? Yeah, the uh, the uh, the ivory carving is our national heritage in China, and we believe um, the uh, the country needs to uh, inherit uh, this uh, great national heritage. But we believe since this uh, 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 serious poaching um, in Africa, so this national heritage. Uh, should be inherited, but in a non-commercial way, which means that uh, those ivory carvings can uh, can be continued, but by the uh, support of the state. And also, um, ivory carvings uh, can be um, uh, uh, reviewed uh, in. Um, National museum, etc. Uh, they they should not they should no longer be as the uh, uh, products in markets. Okay. Can you speak a little bit about the non-commercial versus the commercial ivory? Yeah. Uh, what I meant is that for time being, the the ivory carvings are. Uh, can be can be openly sell in shops in markets. Our proposal is that uh, um, this ivory carvings should be made non non commercial, which means that uh, the state will have a budget to support the mm. uh, ivory carving masters, and uh, they they are working only for the uh, for the benefit of. Pre preserving this uh, cultural tradition. So uh, ivory carving sh should no longer be made as um, profit. You also seem to uh, talk about this window of opportunity, which is the end of 2016, which is where the licenses are up. Um, yeah, it's true. Um, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the current current legal shops now we have about 
30 uh, legal ivory carving uh, uh, factories in China and, and also 130 uh, legal ivory uh, uh, stores here in China. So their, their permit or their certificate will be um, terminated by the end of uh, this year. So we propose that uh, it's it's in the interest of the uh, uh, we now we understand we need a, a grace period to to impose the ban, but uh, given the 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 urgency of the protein crisis in Africa, we believe the ban can be uh, uh, implemented within two years time. Very good, thank you. Thank you. Jofei, uh, do you what do you think we need to do with the um, the stockpiles that, that all the um, shops have now, um, or how would they actually dispose them in in during the grace period? Yeah, the uh, grace period one note. Two years' time is for those uh, legal legal vendors to to get rid their get rid of their uh, legal stock piles there. Um, those are the uh, state and uh, state enterprises. Um, in in two thousand eight, they purchased those uh, uh, legal ivory stocks at very low price, and uh, later on. They sold them at a very high price, so they made a profit already. Uh, now the country, the, the government is going to impose this uh, every ban, so they, it's their business. So, so it's up to them to uh, uh, to get with the, to get with their legal stocks within the grace period. What do you think it's going to be the biggest challenge? Sorry. Oh. Sorry. Um, I guess just what do you think are going to be the most, the biggest challenges in, um, in carrying out this uh, process um, on the part of you know both the Chinese government and and the businesses and the um, and you know the whole industry that. Um, is involved in this trade. Yeah, the uh, the ivory ban uh, is a political commitment now. As as you already mentioned, that's a political commitment of the top leadership. So it's a kind of top down approach. Um, the the this, the uh, political will is there, but it needs the competent government government department like the SFA to implement the ban on the ground. So there are a number of uh, Challenges there. Um, the first, of, the first and most important is a timetable. Uh, the government uh, uh, promised to announce the timetable by the end of this year. Uh, so we monitor the situation very closely. Uh, if the timetable is within one or two years, it's within our expectation. Uh, if the timetable is longer than that, say three or five years, then it's not interest. It, 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 um, it is not good for uh, saving the elephants in Africa. 
the other issue is about compensation. Uh, those uh, legal ivory stocks, uh, sorry, those legal ivory uh, shops or vendors, um, some of them are state state owned enterprises. Uh, so they were insisting that uh, uh, their um, uh, uh, legal ivory stocks should be purchased by the should be purchased back by the government since the government want to imp implement the ban, or at least the government should provide uh, some kind of compensation for them. So uh, they were negotiating with the uh, the uh, the SFA. Uh, on this issue. So uh, the other challenge is that uh, the um, demand is still there. As I mentioned earlier, that uh, the uh, illegal trade has been moved from physical shops to uh, online websites and also to so social media now. So the ban, can, ban cannot be effective is the, if the demand persists there. So the government and uh, the international NGOs should continue to work to change the uh, consumer's behavior in order to uh, to reduce demand in market. Mr. Joe, I have a question. Who is this report for? Who is the audience? And do you expect the intended audience to actually listen to what you have to say? The first first uh, first audience of this report is. Uh, our, our purpose of this report is the policy advocacy. So the first audience would be the decision makers and influencers in the uh, government department who have a say uh, on this uh, issue of uh, the ivory ban. Uh, the other the the other purpose of this feasibility uh, uh, study report is that we hope by issuing this report to call on the government, sorry, to call on the general public to support the ivory ban to be imposed by the government. So we want to engage the, the public to have a better understanding of the um, uh, poaching crisis in, in Africa in order to support what the government is going to do. And do you expect the policymakers to to listen to what you have to say or implement your recommendations? Yeah, I think so. We we do have our channels. Uh, I mean, WWM traffic in China, we do have our, our channels to uh, make policy advocacy um, by uh, regular meetings with the uh, uh, decision makers and the influencers in the government, by uh, sending letters from, um, uh, by sending letters from, uh, 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 our uh, international office to high-level high uh, officials in the government, and also we um, uh, we launched our campaign um, in Beijing, and also we have our uh, the advertisement in the uh, airport, for instance, and also in the the underground. So by Doing all this, we are very confident that our message are very strong. Our voice very clear and loud, so the our audience will 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 listen to them. Uh, just in terms of the upcoming CITES conference um, convention, um, I maybe you can share with us a little bit of what to expect. 
feedback um, there from the government and also, um, I think, from the convention itself on anything major that could happen there. Uh, yeah, um, both W7 traffic will be there to, to attend this uh, uh, COP17. And, and uh, we, are, we are planning a major side event uh, on the 26th of September in collaboration with DSFA. Um, the, uh, the head of Chinese delegation, Mr. Liu Dongsheng, and also the Secretary General of CITES, uh, John Scallon, and uh, uh, CEO of Traffic, uh, Stephen Broad, will be the uh, keynote speakers on this event. So from our side, we'll, we shall continue to call to, to highlight the necessity of the ivory ban uh, in China, and we shall call on the other parties to support um, this domestic ivory trade ban. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for that information. Yeah. All right. I think we are about uh, out of out of time, so we're going to move on to recommendations. Mr. Joe, could you share a recommendation to our listeners? So it's about elephant. We are talking about elephant today. Um, we just had this uh, uh, World World Conservation Congress in Hawaii. Uh, uh, convened by IUCN. Uh, on that Congress, they issued the latest um, uh, census about uh, uh, elephant in Africa. It's called Great Elephant uh, Census, GEC. The result was horrible. Um, in the past uh, seven years, from 2007 to 2014, there, were, there are 144,000 elephants were poached in Africa. So basically, the African population dropped thirty percent. So it's a it's a very it's a very astonishing report. Uh, so I hope our listeners could have a look at this report, so you have a better understanding uh, about this uh, poaching crisis in Africa. That is a very grim reminder of the work that has to be done to stop elephant poaching. Those those numbers are not good. Yeah. And Lena, eating. what recommendations do you have for our listeners? So I read this um, piece um, which came out in China Policy Institute in an analysis just, uh, I think, two or three days ago. And uh, it's by uh, Barry Sotman and Yan Heirong. Um, believe it or not, it is about the uh, racist ad. I mean, there's still some echoes from the big question on, on race uh, and, and uh, China-Africa relations. Uh, what was really interesting, I mean, the, the piece itself is very balanced, as, as we would expect from, you know, the, the scholars. Um, but what was interesting to me was the context of it. So the piece came out, and then just a day or two later, I don't know if you guys saw that, um, the China Air ad. Um, so definitely this uh, issue of race is still you know, kind of um, a topic that is talked about in both in the context of China-Africa relations and just in the context of um, um, China's, you know, kind of PR and foreign relations. Um, and so the title of the piece is Refuting the Racist Chinese Narrative. And I read it in the spirit of thinking about an episode um, in the near future. 
So very good recommendation. And it, it wasn't a, a um, Chinese airline ad. I think it was a, a, a recommendation. How was it? I think it was some magazine, uh, some, like the airline magazine, like the stuff that you read in the airline and on the airplane. I think it was there. Yeah, it was a recommendation. Yeah. It it brought the issue of uh, 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 race in, into the discussion yet again, mm-hmm. but very good recommendation, very timely recommendation. Yiting, do you have anything for our listeners? I'm um, good for today. Thank All right. you. And I have an event. So if you are in the Washington, D.C. area on September 14th, you might want to head out to China in 2016, Historical Perspectives from a Panel of Specialists, which is going to be held from 7 to 8.30 p.m. at Sidwell Friends School and has a crazy lineup of speakers. Mei Feng, who is the author of One Child, The Story of China's Most Radical Experiment. Susan Lawrence, who's a former U.S. News and World Report uh, Beijing bureau chief. Richard McGregor is a reporter and former China bureau chief for the Financial Times. And Professor Jeffrey Wasserstrom, who is the Chancellor's Professor of History at the University of California, Irvine. And it's going to be moderated by Bill Bishop. So if you care about Chinese history or... um or just knowledge production about China in general, and you're in the D.C. area, I strongly recommend you attend. I will be there. And I love all of these people. And Mm -hmm. that is about it in terms of recommendations. Mr. Joe, how do people find you on the internet? Do you have a, a website or a WeChat account you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, my, uh, my, uh, uh, WeChat account is my uh, uh, the mobile phone number. Yes, we we can not... probably just share the traffic WeChat account. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we don't need to um, share your personal information. Okay. So it's it's uh, a traffic. Yeah. We have a we have a the traffic has traffic has a WeChat account. Yeah. So. Our listeners can can uh, can access all this information via traffic WeChat account. Fantastic! I actually haven't interacted much with uh, organizational WeChat accounts, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing traffic's output. Mm-hmm. All right. If people are um, in the WeChat system, you can find it by searching traffic underscore China. That would be the uh, easiest way. Yes, right. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Tremendous. Lena, how do people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at L-B-E-N-A-B-D-A-L-L-A-H. So that's the easiest way to, to get in touch with me. And what have you been tweeting about this week? Um, Not much going on this week, but I generally tweet definitely China, Africa, um, and, and beyond, really. But not th- not this much this week. I don't know. It's just been a bit busy. Um, so I, I think you have been doing a good job, Winslow, this week. I, I've been trying. This mm-hmm. is your first or second week of classes. It's actually the third one. Um, oh. Yeah, it's the third week of class. But, of course, the conference was in the middle of last week. So we're still balancing back. I know what it's like to try and get the oh, swing of okay. things. 
Eating. How do people find you on the internet? Um, I can be found on Twitter as well at uh, um, um, D-A-O-O-F-P-O-O-H, Daofu. And any updates yeah. on your Twitter account or any interesting weeks you've had? Um, I was tweeting a lot about G20. It was an exciting week, so um, that's what's most happening, as well as um, to have advanced advertisement of this excellent um, pod about the report. I, I do want to say that if it wasn't for you eating, I would not have read this report until probably like next month, until after CITES. So you did a really good job publicizing it, and it was a really good report and a very short report. So I urge all our listeners to to give it a to give it a look and really good research as well. As for myself, I can be found on Twitter. My handle is at Winslow underscore R, and I tweet about China African news, opinions, and Arcana. Uh, I have I can also be found on www.cowriesrice.blogspot.com and www.cowriesrice.com, the latter site housing my fledgling China African consultancy. And that is oh and. In terms of my own Twitter output, uh, a, a little bit of China-Africa. I was watching the G20. There was an interesting China-Africa equivalent conference that was that was going on. I don't know if you guys uh, tracked it all, but I, I definitely watched it over Twitter. It was the IWF or the... Gosh, what was it? It, it, it was like the, the, the Africa Investors Conference where a 500 billion uh, 500 million dollar um infrastructure chinese infrastructure company was announced at this at this conference and it was it was really interesting to to watch in any case that is about it for today's episode we'd like to thank mr joe for joining us this evening from beijing as well as african development jobs this podcast can be found on soundcloud stitcher TuneIn radio double twist and itunes we are also teaming up with WTND Community Radio from a Comal Noida Share podcast. Our interns are Winnie Wong and Lily Guan, and we are so lucky to have them as we try to push our pod into Chinese media spaces. Chinese media spaces. The pod can be found on Shimalaya as well. Is there like a special name for it besides Shimalaya, or if I say that, people will understand where to find it? Eating. Shimalaya Ting is the full name for the radio app. Shimalaya Ting. Good okay. job, Winslow. Thank Good you. job. Yes, what Eating said. <laughs> we would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Interscope for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care. <laughs>